0: This fourth Sunday of Advent. I know that <clears throat> in a crowd like this, there's always a mixture of how we've experienced Advent as far as peace or stress. Some of us have had very busy days where we have uh, had events all over the place and had uh, getting to sleep late at night and getting up early and eating way too much great food. I'm going to say great, not junk. I said junk. Life. It's great. Uh, <laughs> All of those kinds of things kind of build into, for some of us, stress. And for others, it's just been pretty peaceful and sometimes maybe a little bit too peaceful. We want a little more activity going on. But this morning, I want to ask this question. Where do we go? Where do you go when you're looking for peace? Now, I I love living in Santa Barbara because there's so many places that you can go and have a moment of peace if you just go out and do it. There's great hikes. There's points down here at Shoreline Park. Uh, Some days when I'm feeling particularly stressed and I may be over on that end of town, I take a five-minute vacation along Cabrillo Boulevard and pretend I'm a tourist. Drive the long way. Don't get on the freeway where my foot's down. Just come slowly, stop at all the stop signs, the crosswalks, rest for a minute. And there's a movement. And I'm seeing this in our world. We're, We're longing. We're longing for some kind of peace and there's this whole movement online right now called Slow TV. Anybody familiar with Slow TV? We've had a total of three people the entire morning who have known about Slow TV. It doesn't sound like I'm doing a TED Talk here for a minute. No, not really. So Slow TV is this movement that's online. If you, you'll go home today, some of you will Google it. It's all over the place. YouTube's full of videos. And I really wanted to put movement to this because... Uh, I wanted to, but it's a very long video clip. And I'll tell you about that in a moment. But imagine this brook is actually babbling right now. It is moving. That's it. That's all you're going to see for 25 minutes. Right there. There's no no drone shots. No music queued in. is swooping in. It's right there. The camera's just sitting there. On slow TV, you can do things such as watch candles burning. You can... Look at a fireplace. Last night, I had a fireplace queued on uh, from Slow TV just to add a little effect to an event I was at. And I realized the logs weren't burning. But, you know, that's another story. They, they were looping it. Those are real logs. But you can almost smell it. You could feel the heat. Uh, you can watch people fishing. One camera angle. Let me tell you, this is not, you know, our usual stuff where we're all over the place and circular and you're getting stressed out. This is watching somebody fish. Uh, you're on a train ride out in front of the train. You can see the track going through. Uh, you might be looking at, now this is a funny one, a sandstorm. That kind of stresses me out. I'm not sure why that's slow TV. But for some, it's restful. And then you could watch people knit. Or quilt. Or any number of other things. And most of these videos, because I tried to find a very short video clip for you, most of them average five to eight hours. You can just put it on and do that. I caught myself this week in my research for the sermon, uh, looking at one slow TV segment with a white sand beach and a curvy palm tree and waves gently lapping, no person in sight, blue sky everywhere. I realized 10 minutes had gone by and I was still looking at that. And I live in Santa Barbara. (laughs) Slow TV. Seems we're longing for peace because our world is not all that peaceful, right? And in fact... There have been many studies done, and I'm wondering how they did these kind of studies. But many studies have shown that our world is actually 4% less peaceful than it was in 2008. Now, whether we want to argue how they came up with that number, now that's a whole other issue. But the reality is that we are getting less peaceful. We're heading in the wrong direction. And that uh, across the world right now, and Chander has already mentioned one... Uh, There are 35 to 40 conflicts or wars across our world right now. And those are the ones maybe we know about. One of the practices I do every morning almost is to look at BBC, just to know how I can pray for some of these conflicts that fly below the radar. Our country is not experiencing a ton of peace. In 2018, they reported 1.2 million uh, violent crimes. School shootings and public place shootings have become so uh, they've, they've been so many that I find myself almost being numb. and I don't want to be numb to that. And of course, in our government and in public spaces in general, I don't want to just roll this down to the impeachment process or anything like that. But what we hear is a lot of divisive talk. And I see a lot of modeling uh, of people who are being caustic and sarcastic, calling people names. And in the same sentence, using the word gentleman or madam, those don't go together. We are not peaceful in our country in that way. Well, that was happy. But I've got more, just a little bit more. You see, there's an attitude that's going around, too, of where we're looking for ways to be offendable as well. There's a book that Nancy and I read together on our way to San Francisco and back called Unoffendable. Some of you may have seen this book. It's a very light read, but yet very convicting. The author, Brand Hansen, who's a Christian, says this. We are not entitled to get offended or stay angry. The idea of our own righteous anger is a myth. It is the number one problem in our society today. And Dallas Willard corroborated this by saying Christians have not been taught out of it. Christians have not been taught out of it. In the context of original sin, we default to being offended. We're looking Ways. Our society is looking for ways to be mad at somebody else for what they've said, what they've done. There's not a lot of humility, listening, and trying to love. And of course, the bad fruit of all of this is that anxiety and depression. Now, there are other sources to this, but anxiety and depression are on the rise. Mental health organizations are reporting upwards of 40 million people are reporting ang- anxiety and depression as a part of their profile. And so that was not very happy, but we do know that sitting in this room, a lot of us are experiencing a whole lot more peace now than most of our world. But we also know that right out there on the edge is that potential for fear, for anxiety, for a moment of life to change what we know and for us to lose that peace. It's not far away and it can quickly overwhelm us. So let's just take a deep breath for a moment. Would you take a deep breath with me? I, I, I need a deep breath right now. Breathing in the spirit. Because we got a good word this morning, a good word. It's going to be good from here out. Because Jesus has come to offer us peace. And we've been reading through these words of Isaiah over the last three weeks. So let's look at them again for the first time. For a child has been born for us. A son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders. And he is named Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So as I studied this passage, I had to ask why prince of peace and not king of peace? Now, I've had, you have to understand, we've had children and a lot of youth in the last couple services, so I was thinking of them in mind, but we're going we're gonna to go younger here for just a minute. Prince Charming. Now, I've been watching The Crown lately, so I know all about the monarchy now. You know, you know, the difference between a prince and a king. And there's Prince Charming, and there's Prince Philip in Sleeping Beauty. I could have gone on and on with all those characters. And, of course, we know about Prince Charles. And then there's, oh, wrong prince. Uh, <clears throat> But why Prince of Peace? Was Isaiah into alliteration? Did he love? Hey, hey, that sounds good. Prince of Peace. Well, no. Actually, when you go back to the Hebrew meaning of Prince, it was principal, P-A-L at the end of that. It's the principal of peace. He was the chief of peace. I've had to practice this all week because I've been wanting to say chief of police. He's the chief of peace. And it doesn't get any higher than him. And the prince of peace, chief of peace, came as a baby and he lived among us and he lived out peace. And so this morning, what I want, what God is calling me to proclaim and what I want us to all hear and myself included is that while I want us to think about how we can pray for peace way out there and in all the different regions of the world How about we pull that right in to us this morning and talk about how peace starts with each of us. And Jesus, in John chapter 14, declares these words. And these are going to be our core words this morning. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. And remind you of all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not let them be afraid. In these words right here that you see in front of you. There are three truths. And an action point. And we want to look and see what Jesus was trying to teach us there. The first thing he was trying to say to us was that Jesus leaves his peace with us through the Holy Spirit, the counselor, who will teach us and remind us. And this peace in the Hebrew was Shalom. And in the Greek was Irene. And here's the, uh, there's a video clip that I want to show you that we have seen. Some of us maybe before. I remember in the past at some point, And for some of us, we'll see it again. And for some of us, it will be brand new. But Let's let this instruct us a little more about this peace.
1: The word peace is common in most languages. People can talk about peace treaties or times of peace. It means the absence of war. And in the Bible, the word peace can refer to the absence of conflict. But it also points to the presence of something better in its place. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And in the New Testament, the Greek word is erene. The most basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. The word can refer to a stone that has a perfect whole shape with no cracks. It can also refer to a completed stone wall that has no gaps and no missing bricks. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness, wholeness. It's like Job, who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals are missing. This is why shalom can refer to a person's well-being. Like when David visited his brothers on the battlefield, he asked about their shalom. The core idea is that life is complex, full of moving parts (laughs) and relationships and situations. And when any of these is out of alignment or missing, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. a time when God would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all wrongs and heal all that's been broken. This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of Erene. Remember, that's the Greek word for peace. Jesus came to offer his peace to others, like when he said to his followers, my peace I give to you all. The apostles claimed that Jesus made peace between messed up humans and God when he died and rose from the dead. The idea is that he restored to wholeness the broken relationship between humans and their creator. This is why the Apostle Paul can say Jesus himself is our Irene. He was the whole complete human that I am made to be but have failed to be. And now he gives me his life as a gift. And this means that Jesus' followers are now called to create peace. Paul instructed local churches to keep their unity through the bond of peace, which requires humility and patience and bearing with others in love. Becoming people of peace means participating in the life of Jesus, who reconciled all things in heaven on earth, restoring peace through his death and resurrection. So peace takes a lot of work because it's not just the absence of conflict. True peace requires taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness, whether it's in our lives our relationships, or in our world. And that's the rich biblical concept
0: of peace. This peace brings wholeness, brings completeness. And I love what they say, it's hard work. Jesus says to the disciples, he's going to leave his peace. Don't you love it when somebody leaves you something good? When I was little and afraid of monsters under my bed or in my closet, my mom would say, I'm going to leave the nightlight on for you. When I was a teenager, my dad once in a while or my mom would generously clean the car and say, I'm going to leave this clean for you for that special date with that special someone. Or even this day, as I'm now my age, and occasionally Nancy goes away and she'll say, I'm going to leave you a great dish of enchiladas for you to make. Isn't it great to be left with something? That's what Jesus wanted to leave his peace. And the Holy Spirit is the one who reminds us in those moments when we are feeling overwhelmed or stressed or fearful or anxious that we have his peace. And that brings us then to the second piece that he gives us his peace. Jesus doesn't recommend that we go find peace somewhere else or that we work on fabricating it. He says, I'm giving you my peace and it's a peace of victory. It's no experience of life can take from us kind of peace. No sorrow, no danger, no suffering can ever make it less independent of outward circumstances. And always on my mind is the little kid song that I learned as a little child. I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. How many of you know that song? Yeah, some of you did. He said, where? All right that those words have come to me in so many moments. And I pray that they will come to you in so many moments because it is a peace that every once in a while I go, why am I so peaceful right now? I shouldn't be. But that's because Jesus has given us his peace if we accept it. But it's not a peace that the world gives. Back in those days, it was very common For people, and even in Eastern culture still, I hear it. Peace be with you. And then the meaningful uh, ancient prayer, may God be with you, is there. But that was at some point shortened to goodbye. Which to us in our culture literally means, well, great to see you, but I got to go. I got other things to do. Came from way back when peace with you. And so the peace being thrown at people these days is often very inconsequential or of little substance. It's a piece of escape, a piece of avoidance of trouble, a piece of refusing to face things. And Jesus offers us so much more if we're willing to receive it. Do we really believe his peace is different than what the world offers? Do we really believe he gives us peace? Do we really believe He leaves his peace with us. If we do, here's the action point do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. What if? What if we quit prioritizing praying for peace for other people? And in our world, that's still important, but we prioritized not letting our hearts be troubled or be afraid. What if there's a story, if you're around me very much, you've heard me refer to it and you may know it as so many different versions of it. But it's such a reminder about how we go about not letting our hearts be troubled. The story I'm going to tell you today is a short one, but it's of a we're going to go with a little girl on the beach. And this little girl comes upon this stretch of beach where there's just hundreds and thousands of starfish that are stranded up on the beach. And she just starts instinctively tossing them in to the water to help them out. The story goes on to say that there's an older person, uh, uh, older than she, who walks up and says, what are you doing? She said, well, these starfish are stranded. I'm tossing them in. And the person says, well, you can't possibly toss in all of these things. And she reaches down and she picks up another starfish, as if to say, watch me. (laughs) She tosses it in and says, well, I made a difference in that one, didn't I? To which the person got the point. Now, some stories go on to be a little bit way too dramatic, where people all of a sudden start appearing on the beach, probably singing a song together and sun setting and (laughs) dolphins are leaping and starfish are being flung from every corner and the whole beach is empty. So you can go with that if you want. But that's really what this is talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about, that it's going to start with us. And it's going to be one starfish at a time, one heart at a time. And when we begin to actively believe the prince of peace, the chief of peace, he will leave that peace for us and give that peace. And so the final word this morning is from the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Throughout the morning, I've been challenging three groups. Children, youth, and adults. You can put yourself in whatever category you want. But I've been challenging the children that they can be peacemakers in their homes, with their siblings, with their parents, on their playgrounds, in their school, with their teachers. And that they could trust Jesus to care for them when they feel afraid or when they feel abandoned or abused. I've been... Challenging youth, young adults to be peacemakers in their homes in these times of figuring out how they're making decisions on their own more and more and to be peacemakers in their schools where school can be very rough and to be peacemakers as they travel the world more than ever in this generation, that they could be peacemakers there and that they could be peacemakers in showing others what it means to get along. And then, of course, I've been challenging adults, including myself, that we are to be peacemakers in our homes, that we're to model it, even though perhaps the culture's not modeling it. We start to model love and humility and listening. And that our children and the children that we impact, that all people would know that the peace of Christ is in our heart. And that as we move about in our places of work And in our homes and in our recreation areas, wherever we are, that we would know that Christ's peace is with us. I close with this question. And it's for me as well. Where is one area where you struggle with peace? And not about just getting along with somebody else, but what about peace just in your own life amidst your circumstances? Let's think about that. On this fourth Sunday of Advent, we have one who came to bring us peace. And he's offering it to us. Let's take these moments of silence. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of
1: Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.